uh, none of us could have imagined that President Gorbachev would be overthrown in a coup, uh, nor after that event could we have imagined that he would be returned to power so swiftly as he was. As those events were unfolding, I went to the book of Isaiah and did some meditating there upon the truth of God's sovereignty in the nations of the world. And I was reminded again how the positions that men hold are but stewardships given by God himself. Whether they be godly or ungodly, it makes no difference. God raises up rulers, and when he has accomplished his purpose, he puts them aside. And all that God is doing in that part of the world, we, we cannot know. I'm sure that what we see exposes tremendous tumult in the spirit world, in the realm of spiritual warfare, in the fight between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. Now, what we see taking place in human events reflects all of that in some way, and I say we cannot really know what it's all about, but our prayer is that what is taking place will be for the advance of the gospel. We're always safe when we pray for the advance of the gospel. And I believe also that God is in some way preparing that part of the world for the end time events. Uh, I'm not saying that what happened this week has any particular prophecy in Scripture in view. I, in fact, I, I don't believe that to be the case. But it is setting the stage for what is going to come according to the Scriptures. We have witnessed world history. And we have seen how a position in the realm of government can be lost unexpectedly. Position, position is as lasting as the power that one has to sustain it. In the human realm, the power to sustain position is predicated upon several things. It can be predicated upon the human will and determination to stay in power. It is also predicated upon human institutions. For example, the Communist Party, which is no longer much of an institution in Russia. Position and the ability to keep it is predicated upon human loyalty. Gorbachev was overthrown, at least temporarily, because of the disloyalty of men who were the closest to him. Human position, position in the natural realm, is only as secure as the power is that one has to sustain that position. How different it is in the realm of spiritual things. In that realm position is decreed by God himself. And one's position, spiritually, is determined by God and kept by God according to his power and his sovereignty. Now it is with respect to that idea, that concept, that we examine the good gift of God for today's study. Because 
the Christian has received from God the gift of position, which is packaged in the word adoption. Our text is found in Galatians, and I invite you to look back there once more with me in the fourth chapter. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption. The adoption as sons, it is put. The Christian has received from God the gift of position that is packaged in that concept adoption as sons. It's important for us to understand the meaning of this idea adoption. Literally the word means to place as a son. To place as a son. When we think of adoption, we think of bringing into one's custodial care an individual, usually a child, that is not naturally born to us. It is a very wonderful idea. And there are a number of families in our church that have experienced the joy of that kind of adoption. But that is not the primary meaning of this word. Rooted in the Roman culture, we examine this word adoption. It was a ceremony whereby one's own born son was adopted into or placed into the status of adulthood with all of its privileges. The uh, Jewish and Greek cultures, as well as the Roman culture, had a ceremony like this. The Jews still call it today bar mitzvah. It normally occurs when a boy is near the age of puberty, around the age of 13. And in that ceremony, this boy becomes a man. It is a ceremony that parallels the idea of adoption. A new status is given to this child. No longer is he looked upon by the family, by the father, as a child in training, as a minor. But from that point on, he is counted as an adult, as a son in the family. For most of us, a better parallel to, to grasp this might be a commencement exercise in a college. Many of us have been through that, that uh, sometimes rather futile exercise. And we have gone across the stage and we have received a degree of some sort. And normally the president of the institution or an appropriate dean says something like this, I confer this decree upon you with all the rights and privileges pertaining thereto. 
And at that moment, you become a graduate of the institution. No longer a student, a graduate. No longer a student who borrows money, now a graduate who owes it. In that instant, a change is made in one's status. All of the rights and privileges pertaining thereto. It's sometimes hard to figure out what those are right after you graduate. Usually it means to go to the back of the line and work forward. But there are rights and privileges that accompany a degree. And so it is with the idea of becoming a son in the family. One writer has summarized the custom this way in the Roman world. It was customary for the father to take his son into the forum, the public arena. And there from a public platform he would say to the citizens of the city, This is my son. He has now come of age. He inherits my name, my property, and my social position. Then the father would take off of the boy his youthful toga pretexta, it was called, and put on him the toga virilis, which means the coat of a man. It was a simple ceremony. It wasn't necessarily elaborate, but it was very, very meaningful because it changed the status of that child so that now the child was considered a son an adult. Adoption in God's family is somewhat similar. The apostle draws upon that picture, that experience to tell us that we have been adopted by God in his family so that we are now adults. When he uses the word sons, he's not referring to to the male gender only. This is for females as well, all of us. For he tells us in chapter 3, there's now no difference as far as our position in Christ is concerned, male or female. God declares all of us not only to be his born children, but also to be his adult children by adoption. I'd like you to turn over a few pages to Ephesians chapter 1 and there look at another text where the word is used. In verse 3, the apostle begins to enumerate the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And he says in verse 4, He, God the Father, chose us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And so we have election. Then he says, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Now from this text we learn that this whole adoption process, or declaration rather, is predestined by God for those whom he has chosen to be children in his family. 
To be predestined means to be marked out ahead of time. And what God has done is to, to choose those who will be a part of his family. And he's marked them out ahead of time, not only to be his chosen ones, but to be his adopted sons. We notice here that this action is based not upon them and what they do, what we do, but it is based solely upon the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He says the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. It is through the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ that any of us are fitted to become the sons of God. Furthermore, you notice that it reflects a personal relationship between God as Father and these whom he declares to be his sons. For it is through Jesus Christ to himself. It is the embrace of a father for his children. It is the warmth of a father's love that causes these children now to be related to him in this adult responsible, privileged sense. It is an action, furthermore, which expresses God's kind intention. And thus, it is done to the praise of His grace and not to the individual's own personal glory. Why has God done this? Why has God seen fit to make us not only children, but sons in his family, it is to the praise of his grace, which he has freely bestowed on us in Jesus Christ, his beloved Son. It is not just for our glory, for our pomp and circumstance, no, no. It is for the glory of God that he will be kind in showing his love to us through eternity. It is for the praise of his grace that he says to us, you are mine and I am yours. We sang that beautiful hymn this morning, I am his and he is mine, based upon the song of Solomon. It is a relationship that God establishes with us as those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. It is important to understand that this adoption took place simultaneous with our faith in Christ. It was not something that occurred subsequently. Furthermore, it is important to note that it's for all believers, not for a few who happen to be more spiritual. But all believers, at the instant that they are born into God's family, also have conferred upon them the status of adulthood. That this is true is evidenced by the personal, resident, indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the believer, whom God has surely sent to indwell us as much as he sent his Son, according to Galatians chapter 4. I would like to take just one moment to turn to another passage that embraces this idea of adoption. It's in Romans chapter 8 where we'll pick it up in verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so we see that we who are being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God and the Spirit of God indwells us. He is called here the Spirit of Adoption. And he is the one who within us enables us to say truly and to say from our innermost being, Abba, Father. I want to talk more about that as we think concerning the implications of our adoption as sons. I just want to mention two of them this morning. What does this mean? That I have been adopted as a son, as an adult in God's family. Well, in the first place it means that we have an adult relationship with God who is our father. An adult relationship with him. We can now, right now, in this world, enjoy the benefits of our inheritance in Christ. Of course, there is one sense in which we cannot know the fullness of that inheritance until Christ comes and we receive the redemption of our bodies, our new bodies. But right now, there is a sense in which we can enjoy the benefits of our inheritance in Christ. What does that include? Well, it would include the peace of God in every circumstance. You and I can enjoy that right now. We need not live lives of anxiety, lives of worry. Right now, God has made it possible for us to know his peace in our hearts. That's part of our inheritance. Right now, today, we can know the assurance of God's love and acceptance. That's part of our inheritance. This morning, as you sit where you are, you can know the certainty of God's leading in your life. That's part of our inheritance. Whatever your situation today, you can know the grace of God in your challenges because that's part of your inheritance. You see, right now we have an adult relationship with God who is our Father, and therefore we can enjoy the inheritance until one has become of adult age, he cannot enjoy inheritance. That is generally true. Today, it was certainly true in the ancient days. A child was nothing better than a slave, legally, until he came to this time when he was adopted into the family. Then he had the right of inheritance. That's our right from the very moment that we're born again. Because God adopts us into his family at that very instant as well. From the very moment we are saved, we can know the peace of God, we can know the grace of God, we can know the, the uh, leading of God in our lives. We need not wait until some time in the future. Today, 
we can enjoy that. There's a wealthy man who once called a, a faithful assistant of his into his office. And he said to him, I've put your name in my will. And when I die, you're going to receive a large sum of money. And it may be some time before that occurs. So therefore, I want to make you happy by paying to you each year the legal interest on the amount of money you will someday receive. And he handed him a check for several hundred dollars as a starter. We see that clerk was doubly grateful because not only did he have the prospect of a future inheritance, but right then he began to collect on it in a very real way. How true that is of us who are the children of God. We have a wonderful inheritance coming in the future, but even right now, God, as it were, is giving us the interest on it. That's what Fanny Crosby meant, I think, when she wrote, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. She was saying, the, the assurance that I have right now of God's love and care in my life is just the down payment on my inheritance to come, the glory that is to come. Not only can we enjoy the benefits of our inheritance now, but because we are adults in our relationship with him, we can enjoy the fellowship of our Heavenly Father now. It is interesting that twice we are told that we may address God as Abba. <clears throat> the word Abba is Aramaic in its origin. It is a diminutive expression that was used by children in that day in talking to their fathers. And thus it can be legitimately translated in our tongue, Daddy. The point in the word, though, really is not one of immaturity in relationship so much as it is intimacy in relationship. The word daddy expresses trust. It expresses admiration. It connotes the dearness in that relationship between parent and child. It is interesting that our Lord Jesus, in his praying, frequently called God, Abba. Just as much as Jesus addressed God by that familiar and intimate word, so the Holy Spirit gives us freedom to do the same. Right now, today, if you are a child of God, you can look into the face of God and say to him, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's hard for some of us to understand the emotion of that because some of us grew up in single-parent homes and more are doing that all the time. Some of us did not know a close relationship 
with our fathers. And thus it is difficult for us to understand the emotion and the intimacy that is encapsulated in this word. But you think upon the relationship that you had with your parent, your mother perhaps, or maybe it was with a grandparent, or an aunt, or uncle, or someone who was very dear to you in your your days of, of being reared. And identify the warmth that you have for that person with this term, Abba, and you've got the essence of it. Because it means that we may come to God with this kind of intimacy and warmth. Thus did Wesley write the hymn that is not in many hymnals anymore, unfortunately. But the words go, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands, my name is written in his hands. My God is reconciled, his pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child, I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh, and Father, Abba Father, cry. Because of this gift of adoption, you and I can know that relationship with God that that brings our inheritance into our daily experience and enables us to look into the face of God and know that we are addressing the most intimate, the most dear one in the universe. To what extent do these ideas describe your spiritual relationship with God? Do you know the dearness of God in this way? Are you today experiencing the inheritance that God has given you in Christ? Not only do we have an adult relationship with God, who is our Father because of adoption, but we also have an adult responsibility to God, who is our Father. As children become grown-ups, what is expected of them dramatically changes over the years. Little children are expected to dirty their diapers. Little children are expected to be careless. Little children are expected to be sometimes wasteful and unwise. Little children are expected not to take life very seriously, but to have a lot of fun. For little children, life is play. And play is their work. And that's important for little children. But when we become adults, things change dramatically. When we become adults, we're to be more serious about life. We look at life as a stewardship. We see that life is not all fun and games. Life is very serious. Oh, there are fun times, to be sure. And God gives us the gift of humor. But the basic attitude about life is that life is serious business. 
because we are adopted as God's children, we are expected to look at life that way. There really is no no period in a Christian spiritual experience for babiness. We have adult privileges and adult responsibilities are assumed of us from the very beginning of our relationship with God. Now that doesn't mean that we are immediately spiritual mature. That, of course, is not true. Spiritual maturity takes time, it takes experience, etc. But as far as our responsibility to God is concerned, adoption implies implies that we are immediately responsible. That life becomes a stewardship for which we are expected to be wise investors. That we might receive a maximum gain. And so when we think of the gift of adoption, we understand that it not only brings to us privilege, the privilege of inheritance, the privilege of calling God Abba, but it brings to us a definite responsibility before God. So that we don't see life as something that we can frivolously live and waste upon ourselves. But we see life has been given to us that we might return it to God and apply ourselves to it with diligence. The good gift of adoption is God's loving declaration establishing us as full heirs of his coming glory and kingdom with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities that pertain to it. May I ask you today, does your life reflect in its choices, in its behavior, in its attitudes, in its direction? Does it reflect the reality of this position? Is the position that you have as an adult child of God being reflected in the practice of your daily living? If it's not, then it's time to stop in our tracks and to address our Father very soberly and seriously. And to say, Father, I haven't been too serious up to this point. Father, I haven't learned up till now what it really means to be your son. But I want to learn that. And I want to fulfill And I want to enjoy the position that you've given to me in Jesus Christ. Homer and uh, Langley Collier were the two only children of a respected New York doctor. When the old man died around the turn of the century... He left his entire estate, a vast fortune, including a home, to these two men who were bachelors. They were now well secured for their whole lives. But the two brothers chose a peculiar lifestyle that wasn't at all consistent with their material success, or material status, I should say, which their inheritance gave to them. They lived in almost total seclusion, and even boarded up the windows on the mansion in which they lived. 
They padlocked the doors. And from the outside of the house, it looked deserted. On March 21, 1947, the police received a telephone tip from someone that a person had died inside the boarded-up house. They had to go to the second-story window to get into the home. And there, in a bedroom, they found Homer's corpse on a bed. He had died clutching the February 22, 1920 issue of Jewish Morning Journal, though he had been totally blind for many years. This weird scene was set against an equally grotesque backdrop because it seems that the two brothers were collectors. Their house was crammed full of broken machinery, used auto parts, boxes, appliances, folding chairs, musical instruments, rags, assorted odds and ends, and bundles and bundles of old newspapers which they had kept. Virtually everything in the house was worthless. Nearly three weeks later, a workman was continuing to haul out heaps of this refuse when they made a grisly discovery. Langley Collier, the other brother, was buried beneath a pile of this rubbish and had apparently been there for years. He had been crushed to death in a crude booby trap which he had built to protect his precious collection from anyone who might intrude into the home. He had died in his own trap. Homer and Langley Collier are but a sad parable of the way many Christians choose to live. These brothers had an inheritance that was sufficient for all of their needs, and yet they lived in unnecessary, self-imposed deprivation. Spurning their father's lavish legacy given to them, Homer and Langley binged instead upon the scraps of the world. Let's pray. I wonder if that parable, which is a true story, might expose the tendency that some of us have to binge upon the scraps of the world rather than to live in the lavish inheritance that God has given us as his children. Some of us are choosing to live life as paupers, spiritually. When God has called us to be princes of his kingdom and provided for us as such. May our hearts today hunger to know the reality of God's inheritance and the intimacy of his fellowship as Abba. And may there be a deep desire in us, Father, to fulfill the responsibility that you've given to us in calling us your sons. 
Sing with me, please, this chorus. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified today. Let's stand together with our heads bowed. In our church, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In our church, Lord, be glorified today. Father, Throw your arms around us. Embrace those of us who are your children afresh this morning in the truth of your word. Show us its glory. And by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, warm our hearts in this relationship that we can enjoy with you now. And Father, I pray that our hearts will likewise be burdened for those who know not Jesus who are not the sons of God nor the children of God through faith in Christ and who truly are paupers. O God, give us great burden to share your wealth with them. For surely in the lavish riches of your grace there is provision for them too if they would but come to Christ. Bless our witness to our friends and family this week as we seek to reach them for Jesus' sake. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.